0: And good morning and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, October 15, 2017. The share IDs for Friday, October thirteenth, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10544. That's 10,544. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, one zero. This morning, A Vision for You presents Conscious Contact, Getting It, and Maintaining It. Entering the world of the spirit, tapping an unsuspected inner resource, and conscious contact is the culmination of all the other steps. We have taken all the other steps to lead us to begin to sense the flow of his spirit into us. As a result of the actions of steps 4 through 10, the obstacles that were blocking us from our higher power have now been removed. Our daily reprieve depends on the maintenance and improvement of our conscious contact and spiritual condition. The powerlessness over our compulsive overeating that nearly destroyed us will return if we do not work on maintaining and improving our contact with our higher power. The big book talks about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from our higher power. The whole concept is to develop a vital sixth sense that gives us a direct connection to the power which is greater than we are we are trying to learn to tap into this conscious contact in order to act intuitively directly from our hearts and to live according to the dictates of our higher power Sharing her experience today is Chrissy G, a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Chrissy is a loyal messenger on a Vision for You and in the OA community as well. And it's with great pleasure that I welcome Chrissy G to the line.
1: Good morning. Thank you, Leia. That was such a great opening. I'm Chrissy G, a recovered um compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. And um when thinking about this topic, I realized that I had to state a couple of disclaimers, you know, getting conscious contact, maintaining it. I'm really just hoping to start a conversation about making a beginning on this lifetime effort. It's a a good place to have questions because there are so many questions around this and there's, for me, we're so much confusion about what conscious contact means and what a spiritual awakening means. And there are two they're two different things I, I've come to realize, and I'll touch on that. I'll touch on the spiritual awakening, which is the first acknowledgement one makes that there exists in us and around us a reality that's not seen but felt inside us that we can live from and access So it's that that first uh, aha moment when I walked into a meeting and I heard people who were older than me because I was I was young. The first meeting I went to and different stories, they had different walks of life and I identified with their pain. And it was that first acknowledgement that we're connected, that there is something inside me that's connected to them. That my pain and also my my hopes and dreams about what life could be was exactly the same as everybody else's, and that was my first moment of of a of an awakening of a realization of a spirit within me so that was that's kind of just the spiritual for me is just being awakened, just just awakened, not conscious. It's like when we wake up in the morning. And we're just barely awake and we're, we're in that realm of not being conscious and being conscious. So there's more. There's so much more beyond that, that initial awakening. Um, I, ho- I hope to further explain conscious contact, not just the initial waking up to spirit, but the living from the spirit and communicating with the spirit. First, acknowledging the spirit, then learning to practice spiritual principles. These are two different things. One must continue to seek. How do you seek out things of the spirit? That's what I hope to touch on. And I realize that this is um, a very ambitious topic, I feel. um, And it's just, like I said, I'm hoping to just start a conversation about it. And I'm sure I'll learn just as much as hopefully... The listeners will learn um, a few disclaimers. I I feel like you're you're going to do yourself the biggest service if you suspend disbelief for this this forty five minutes to an hour um, that I'm going to be talking. There's you know so we're assuming there is a higher power dwelling inside us that you can access. So that's what we're assuming, whether you've experienced it, whether you believe it, whether you know it. These are all different things. But right now we're suspending disbelief that there is. So there's a possibility at the very least in order to really get anything out of this talk. You have to um, acknowledge that there's a possibility of this higher power dwelling within within us that we can access um what are the essential qualities we must possess on this journey of coming to believe it states really clearly in appendix 2 in the big book we find it says we find that no one need have difficulty with the spiritual side of the program willingness honesty and open mindedness are the essentials of recovery so that's what here where what i'm asking you to have it says these things are indispensable. So it's really to work this program, this is the quality of coming to this program that we need to have. It's, it's really difficult to um, make a beginning on this program without suspending disbelief. If you come to this program, I know because I did this with the, with the um, attitude of, I don't believe, prove it to me. It's not, it's really wasn't anybody's job to prove to me that there's, these spiritual principles will work in my life. It was for me to seek it out. It was my work to make it real and true for myself. So most people, I was considering this, that most people believe there's a place in your brain that holds memory. And we're told this by neurologists. Neuroscientists, and we believe that it's true. we experience memory because we we recall things and we we talk about things from the past that aren't here in the future that we can't we can no longer see. We talk about people that are no longer living, and they're all stored in a memory, a memory that we can't see right so I'm saying to myself and I'm thinking and I'm suggesting to you, why is it any different to believe? that there's a spirit within us that is unseen. I'm suggesting now that you make a decision to believe in a power greater than yourself that you cannot see with your eyes beyond anything you know. With that in mind, I'd like to say the set-aside prayer. There's different versions, but this is the one I like. God, help me to set aside everything I think I know about myself, my brokenness, my recovery, my spiritual path, and you for an open mind and a new experience of myself, my brokenness, my recovery, my spiritual path, and especially you, God. And and in saying this, I realized I'd rather say it in the plural um, for all of us. God help us to set aside everything we think we know about ourselves, our brokenness, our recovery, our spiritual paths, and you for an open mind and a new experience of ourselves, our brokenness, our spiritual path, our recovery, and especially you, God. What is conscious contact? Okay. Why why must we bother with trying to access a connection with the higher power? That's a huge question. I mean, I just I'm coming here, you might be saying, I'm coming to this line. I'm coming desperate. You know, I'm however many pounds overweight or however many pounds underweight, my family, my husband's willing ready to divorce me. My my job is is really on the line and you're talking to me about unseen phenomena that I'm supposed to access to live a better life. You know, just tell me how how I can stop eating or stop starving. I understand that desperation. But once again, I need you to suspend disbelief and listen to what Dr. Silkworth says in our book. Under the doctor's opinion, Dr. Silkworth talks about the diagnosis and the prognosis. So you already know that you're addicted and allergic to food probably by the time you um, seek out this program. And the prognosis is that we're allergic and addicted to substances that are going to destroy us. And in our case, there's substances and behaviors. Like for me, I I was an overeater and an undereater. There were a lot of behaviors that that I was addicted to that kept me stuck in the disease. Um, these behaviors would have forced me to death or insanity, and I was on the brink of death and insanity many times. And Hopefully, and I say this with love and respect, hopefully you've felt those moments of insanity and wished for the end because if you've had that experience, you're more likely to listen to all that that you need to do and accept in order to get better. You will not accept this simple program of action if you haven't. Had those experiences um, okay, so once a psychic change the book says once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for for alcohol and in our case food or or food behaviors. Um, behaviors related to not eating or purging. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. What are these rules? Big book, page 59 tells us, Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. It says, Then, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And um, we read the 12 steps before every meeting, and they're in the big book, um, and they could be read. There's also a book called The 12 Steps and 12 Traditions that is a nice um, expanded version of each of the steps with explanations. Okay, so how to practice these principles in all our affairs? Yeah, that was that was something that I I got very confused early on in my recovery, and it's something that I'll speak about later on. Um, one could view this awareness of yourself as not only flesh and bones, but part of you being spirit. That you exist, that there exists a place of a spiritual realm a realm that for me in in my belief is the kingdom the kingdom of God I believe in God my higher power I call God but you can also think of this spiritual realm as life force or just and not just I don't say this you know minimizing nature's beauty but you could think of it this this force as nature's beauty creation the birth of a child life and death the circle of life all of that that you can access that power and you're part of that power so that if that you can wrap your arms around and your brain around then then that's fine that's enough that's that's enough to get you to understand these concepts and what working all of these spiritual principles in your life is about so if you aren't sure that you believe, at the very least, I want to explain to you why it's of vital importance for you to come to believe or to, to make a decision to be open-minded about spiritual principles. It says the big in Big Book, page XX, those who took the steps of recovery, the first 100 on the average, Seventy-five percent got sober and stayed sober. So what happened to the 25 percent? Page 35 clues us in on one example of such a person. It says, all went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual experience. The book, the alcoholics in the big book, in the back of the book, really helped me a lot in the beginning. Because I, I walked into the room, I had that initial experience where I I felt a connection with these people that I really shouldn't have felt a connection to. They they were men, they were women, they were older, they were I had families, I had no family. So that initial, oh my gosh, that acknowledgement that I'm like them, that whatever is in me is in them that lives and exists and I could identify with them. That was the first awakening. But then when I opened the book and looked in the back of the book, and I read about these alcoholics that were very much in a position where I was at the time, which was at death's door or at the at least knocking on the door or um, the brink of insanity, having insane thoughts and, and insane behaviors and not being able to control my emotional life and not be able to set a goal or make my life happen in any productive way. Regardless of my best intentions, um, when I saw that same quality in the lives of the people in the back of the book that had hit bottom, another another shift for me happened. In the in the back of the book that recounts the stories, I was able to see how spirit taking these steps of recovery and how a spiritual awakening in a spiritual experience changed their lives and put them on different footing and that's what i was looking for i was looking for my life to change um the doctor's opinion explains that in 1934 he attended a patient who had been a hopeless drunk so this is another example but in the course of his third treatment he acquired acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. So he was told about the 12 steps of recovery. And as part of his rehabilitation, he shared this means of recovery with other alcoholics. This man and over 100 others appeared to have recovered. He had impressed on all who recovered that they must in turn help others to recover. So a clear example of making conscious contact is John H. F. Fritz. His story is recounted briefly on page 56. The entire story is in the back of the big book under the title Our Southern Friend, if you want to read the whole story. So I'll read um, part of it. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose. Of religious education for years thereafter he was dogged by trouble and frustration business failure insanity fatal illness suicide these calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him post-war disillusionment ever more serious alcoholism impending mental and physical collapse brought him to the point of self-destruction so um, just to highlight, that's that's the vital place that a person needs to be in order to be able to be open to these principles and ideas. So it's, you know, a lot of people have, have used to say to me when I first came into the program, you know, oh, that's a good place to be when I would talk about how desperate I was for a change in my life. And I used to get so angry. And it's like it's like when... Bill and Bob laugh at number three. You know, we're, we're laughing like, wow, yes, you're desperate and hopeless. Awesome. Now you can get better. So in this example of, of this, this um, alcoholic, one night it says when he was confined to a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. He called out for help and was granted relief from the mental obsession. That's my definition of what this spiritual experience is. When you call out for help and you're granted relief from the mental obsession, and I've experienced that many, many times and have seen others experience it many, many times. But in this example, when our friend heard about the spiritual experience, his, it says, his gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, well, if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself the question, is it possible that all the religious people have known or wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. And then I put in parentheses, where did it come from? Where did that thought come from? And and in the book, it explains that that thought crowded out all else. And it was, who are you to say there is no God? This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. And in a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction. Of the presence of God, so I just wanna I just wanna talk a little bit, uh, a little freely about that um, because it's it's unbelievable that that would happen for someone, and it's it, there's two I see there's two dilemmas here for people that read this part of the book. It's the disbelief that this could happen. For them, or that a person that was so agnostic could come to believe in a thunderbolt moment um, that have conviction, an overwhelming conviction of the presence of God, as if God was standing, or there was a higher power standing right there before him. That knowing, um, how does that? How does? How is that possible? And if it is possible. If you've been working this program to the what you think is to the best of your ability, and I say that with love and compassion, what you think is the best of your ability, and you haven't had this experience, then how come you haven't and and i I talk to a lot of people that want me to to bring them through the steps. a few people who who want me to bring them to the steps really, really quickly so that they could have this overwhelming conviction of the presence of God and and I I think that that there's some confusion at least in my very limited understanding there's some confusion about what that conviction and that presence and that awakening is and what it feels like and how you experience it every day and that's really that is the dilemma that that motivated me to talk about this topic even though it's a, i was very nervous about talking about this topic it's a very big topic it could be a controversial topic um in some ways because some of these things are just my opinions and just my experience and um i think it's important for for me to explain my experience because I I hope that people could relate to that feeling of I want a spiritual awakening and that could be interpreted to I want to feel better and not only that I want to feel good all the time and that has not been my experience completely. I feel better most of the time um, because my perception of life has been changed by working the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous because my my perception of life has changed most of the time i live in a much lighter less heavy state of being that is true but i'm still on the plane the plane of life material needs and pressures so and and I I get I get tired, I get physically drained. I'm human. So we don't ever, as they say in this program, rise above being human. That's not what the spiritual awakening was for me. Um so I think it's really important to realize that, you know, if if you're not walking on sunshine every moment of the day, it's not that you're missing out on something. I'm with you, I'm there with you, as they say, shoulder to shoulder we're we're trudging we're trudging this road of happy destiny we're not flying above it um, okay, so with that um, my next part is in in a more subtle example of making conscious contact, Bill had that great moment of pause before going into the bar and instead going to the pay phone when he was, we just read this recently in our vision meeting in the mornings. Um, he went when he was at that Mayflower hotel and his, his business deal went kaplooey and he was thinking, Hmm, that bar. Oh, it's calling me. It sure looks good. I could get some relief in there. I know I have faith in that. I have faith in, in that, what I can see. I can see with my eyes those people are happy. I can get happy in there, but something grabbed a hold of him, that something was the spirit with him in him as a result of being um, being aware of of these steps and this program of recovery that all that he learned from the Oxford group, he goes and instead turns, and in a pivotal moment, and the history of AA rests on. On this pivotal moment, he decided to make a phone call and to to seek um, different clergy to find someone that he could help. And in page 46 in the big book, it says, "As soon as we admit the possible the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things." we begin to possess a new sense of power and direction. So in that moment, I believe he tapped into that power and that power gave him a thought that wasn't his own. Make a phone call. I've had that experience and I talk to many people daily who have that experience. That when we turn and we seek answers outside of ourselves, that we have access to that power and we get a sense of power and direction. And, and the most important part on page 46 says, provided we take simple steps. So we must take the steps in order to have access to this power. And again, page 50 talks about how to make this contact. They flatly declared that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, So the attitude we take towards that power is very important. And to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. Okay, so if all of this is true, then it just makes sense that we want to seek to have a conscious contact with God in order to have this access to a different, a revolutionary change in our thinking and in our living. Because if we've come here scraping our tails behind us, we are beat. We want to live a different way. But there are barriers. Um, There are barriers to all of this. And there are great talks on the vision recordings that explain the barriers. And Sally A. um, has a nice talk and I could give you um, the date of that um, if you call me. We can talk more about that um, after. But the barriers are, first of all, my, the disease. And the disease that lives in my mind that tells me that all of this is nonsense, that everything that I'm saying is not true. And if it is true for me, it's not if it's true for me, you might be thinking to yourself, well, it's not true for you. God may love me. God may do that for me, but he's not going to do it for the likes of you. At least that's what I thought. When I read those stories in the back, I didn't initially get excited and say, wow, there must be a God. If this guy this if this if guy was able to get better, you think you read Bill's story. If he was able to get better, you read Dr. Bob's story. If he was able to get better, oh, my gosh, there has to be a God. But there was a barrier. My barrier was my self-esteem, my self-worth. I thought, you know, I wasn't important enough for God to help. You know, and, and I've come to realize, and and I hope if, if that's one of your barriers, you could come to realize that that's really ego in reverse, you know, the ego either tells us we're the best of the best or we're the worst of the worst. You know, maybe I'm just right in the middle. Maybe I'm just like the people in the story and the stories in the back. Maybe I'm just like Bob and Bill and this could work for me too. And it can work for you. And I thank, thankfully, thank to thanks to this program and all of the many beautiful recovered souls that have helped me over the course of, most of my adult life, all of my adult life, I've been. My first AA meeting was at 20. They've helped me come to the place where I am now, and and that's to increasingly have less and less barriers to to accessing this power. So, um, the barriers he had built through the years were swept away when we draw near to him. He, de- he discloses himself to us. That's in page 56 and 57. The willingness to let God discipline us in the ways outlined are in page 85. And a lot of us read that daily. I don't read it daily, but I practice it daily. Um, in page 85, if you turn to page 85, when you get a chance and read it and all of those who are familiar with it, that's where... We learn to ponder and let God direct us throughout our day, and that's that's been so helpful for me. Once I made initial contact, to use that 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 pause throughout the day has been so helpful to me, and it's it's as true as um, clicking on that little icon that brings me to the internet and connects me. That pausing. And praying does the same thing to connect me to access my higher power, who I choose to call God. Um, Also, we look to page 93 for that guidance on the proper attitude to take towards this higher power. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish, constructive action. So that's vital. So what's vital? We need to have So working the steps as part of the steps. The steps bring us to a place where we could be um, dispossessed enough of our own self-interest to think about other people and to use our energy and our resources to help other people in constructive action, to help other addicts and, and alcoholics. And in that way, as it says in the 12th step, we come to work these principles in all our affairs. So for my in my experience, it's this conscious contact started with working the steps and and it continues with the twelfth step in helping others inside the rooms and outside the rooms. And for me, the shift in, in my self consciousness and wanting to possess everything to have a nice life for myself. And this whole shift that God's created in me to this consciousness of wanting the greater good for people around me, that didn't come from me, but it did come from working this program, from unselfish, constructive action. And I wasn't unselfish when I was taking the action. Let me tell you, I was just saving my butt. But when I made commitments early on to, I was in AA, so. There were smokers then, and there was cleaning ash trees then, and there was making coffee, and there was being a greeter at a meeting. When I did all those things, and as humbling as they were, and I was thinking, how is this going to stop me from drinking at the time? And then later on, when I, when I um, took commitments in OA, how is this going to help me stop eating or keep eating um, three meals a day without binging or purging how is this going to help me to stop over-exercising? Well, I I just took on blind faith that what the people in the back of the book said was true, that they took these steps and before they knew it and without even realizing it, their mind shifted from doing this unselfish constructive action for selfish reasons to this more profound feeling of connectedness and oneness with the world which I, I live in today, and which is a very beautiful experience and a wonderful way to live. Um, okay, a block is not knowing how to apply this faith to, to one, to live a solid life. So it says, I'll read it again, it says, the proper attitude to take towards this higher power is vital. Faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish construction, but a block is that we don't have the faith. The faith must be accompanied, but what if you don't have the faith? You could do the self-sacrifice without the faith. What happens? You're not believing. Well, you don't have to have faith in God to have faith in the word of the people in the back of the book and in the word of the people on this line who have recovered. You can have faith in us and what we're saying is true that I once felt like you do if you don't have faith in a power greater than yourself. And I've worked these steps and I've I've been made conscious. I've awakened to a power greater than myself and now I can access this power on a moment to moment basis in my life and live my life without compulsively overeating without starving without overexercising in reasonable in reasonable happiness daily um so you can have faith in, i i pray that you have faith in 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 my words and what i'm saying to be true so um a block another block um, to having access to a higher power and making conscious contact is um, failure to expand your spiritual life," it says on a hundred page on page one hundred and fifty four. Bill seeking direction. Oh, I read that part already. Um, failure to enlarge our spiritual our spiritual life that's another block. So when making initial contact what we are seeking when we are trying to make initial contact Um, and how we enlarge our spiritual experience. That's what I want to talk about next. Because when I went in, I read the book, I turned over, you know, I cleaned up the ashtrays. I was doing all those initial things, trying trying to make an initial conscious contact with God, trying to access this power that, I heard other recovered people had access when I was trying to do that. You know, it was just, I was going on blind faith at the time. And, and I didn't know how to establish communication. But establishing communication with the power source, vastly more wise and loving and strong than our finite minds is really what we're here to do. The mind whose best thinking got me in the mess that I was in. I needed something more than my mind. We need a new source with new attitudes and ideas to pour into us, or as I believe, to bubble up from within us. As it was always there, it was just drowned out by the loud voice of the disease and the diseased minds of others in the world. Page 98 of the 12 and 12, it's the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of AA says, the world libraries and places of worship are treasure troves for all seekers, and I found that they are so when i when I first put down the alcohol and then when i put when I started eating from a meal plan and I started to work this these principles in my affairs and work this program steps four to nine once um I made a decision to believe and to work this program and to believe that I could be helped by this program then i I really needed to find ways to have conscious contact with God. So a lot of people have a morning meditation time and they access the higher power that way. And for me, my experience was that I went from church to church early on. I understood. I had read the book. I got it. I, I By God's grace at 20 years old, I understood that connection to God, that seeking God and a connection to God was the answer to my life's problems, to my addiction. And so I went from church to church seeking. I, I listened to what other people did. I used the meditation books. Um, and in uh, one of the things that I do is I, I asked. I used to ask questions. I'd be so confused my daily life. How do I live life without alcohol? How do I live life without obsessing about food? Because that's what gave me structure and meaning to my life. When I was going to eat, how much I was going to eat, if I wasn't going to eat, <laughs> that, that, was, that was all that my, you know, my life revolved around. And once that was gone, where do I get structure in my life? Well, I was told to use meditation books to access the structure and direction from God. And so I would pick up, a, I'd ask a question and I'd pick up a meditation book and I was, I was taught this. You just open randomly to any page, you don't have to pick today's date. And I trust that that's my answer. And I read it, and I find meaning in it. In it, and I look beyond the words to the true meaning. And I can, and it connects inside in, to something inside of me, just like the same place that connects inside of me when I hear you speak. And I, and you hear, and I, you speak about your experience with the spirit. And I say, I say, yeah. There's a knowing. There's an understanding deep there, with within us. And it can't be denied. And I find that I can access that same thing when I'm by myself using certain literature, spiritual literature. So that's one way that I access conscious contact with the higher power. I'm um, also uh, was early on taught to be open to signs from unlikely sources and there they could be silly things cuz my higher power really does have a sense of humor because he knows that that's the way to get to my heart is through sense of humor and i see things on bumper stickers on um on um license plates and one license plate um really got got me that i was told when I was eating my meal plan, that that was my 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 medicine, my AZT. You know, if I had AIDS, it would be if I had HIV, it would be like my my AZT. If I was a cancer victim, it would be like my chemotherapy. That was my food plan. Following it, adhering to it, was part of my rehabilitation and my treatment. So I was I was early, early maybe. Weeks into recovery. And I can't tell you, you know, people who say that they can't work this program um, because they have stuff going on in their lives, that they have to wait, you know, till this happens or that happens before they can start working these steps. I just have to tell you, I started working these steps out of desperation, not by any virtue of my own, but out of desperation in the midst of the most harrowing experience of my life. Um, I owned a business and I was a provider for mental health. And I was, some of you who know my story, I was providing um, ABA therapy to children with special needs in their home. And we got paid through private insurance companies. And private insurance companies need, need a person to be very meticulous about their bookkeeping. And they have every right to claw back money when they um, audit someone and the bookkeeping is not up to par. And all I can tell you is I was an addict on a, um, a crusade to cure alcohol, uh, to, to cure autism. So you could imagine I wasn't really concerned about all that fussy business um, with, with paperwork. And, you know, I mean, to give myself a little bit, bit of an out. I, I did enough. I did the bare minimum. So I had stuff, but when I, when I was in the middle of getting abstinent, I, I got a letter. I got a phone call from the insurance company. Um, Mrs. McCluskey, I was McCluskey at the time. You're, you're going to be audited and you need to get all 65 of your patients that you've had over the course of the past, four years, all their, their documentation in order, and it better be in perfect order. Otherwise you'll be paying back money. And that could have been hundreds of thousands up, up to a million dollars. And I didn't have any, anything near that to pay back because all of the money except for my own paycheck, which was, wasn't everything that I built for, all of that money went to the people that were helping me to provide this therapy. So they were, I signed off on the therapy because that's the way this particular mental health practice um, works is I am the provider. And then I have therapists that work under me that I bill for, and that's the way it works. But I was accountable for all that paperwork. So I was in big trouble i I didn't know how I was going to be able to do this, and I knew that I had to wait and measure my meals and carry them with me to the office every day as I labored from literally morning till night to get my paperwork in order for this audit that was about to happen in six weeks, so I had to put all my other business on hold i I actually made an executive decision and and God helped me make this decision um, to close my business, my practice at that time and concentrate on the audit and concentrate on recovery. Um, So it was a big sacrifice and a lot of fallout because of that. But it says that we have to sacrifice in this program in order to get better. There is a certain amount of self-sacrifice. And so there it was, I was back to the, um, The license plate so I have my 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 lunch downstairs in the car and I'm upstairs busy 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 like a bee and I at that point I was an under eater so I could have gone hours without eating and it wouldn't have mattered I wouldn't have thought of eating and it dawned on me from God I believe where is your lunch it's time for lunch and I looked around the office and it wasn't there and it was in the car. So, but with, believe me, a great exertion of my own will to try to come into alignment with that thought of what I believe was God's will for me. I walked down those stairs. I ran to my car. I didn't want to lose a minute of time in order to do the work that needed to be done upstairs because it was overwhelming. And the license plate in front of my car says AZT on it. Now I had just had a conversation with my sponsor about AZT. If you don't know, is the medication that um, people with HIV use in order to maintain their recovery and and their health. And I laughed out loud that that bumper sticker, I mean that that license plate said that. And I just knew. And when you know, when when that knowing touches deep down within you, that spirit of God within you accesses that higher power it's almost like a tingling it's like you know that you know that you know that's what my friend who's a priest says he knew that he knew that he knew that God was real and and I did in that moment and that's just one example of of one of the ways that I make conscious contact I say a prayer I'm open to signs that come from unlikely sources um, another way is messages that speak to my soul, uh, soul language that I hear come from other people. And, you know, my, my, my prayer this morning was that, that I can speak to your hearts during this time, that there's a soul connection that comes from what I'm saying and reaches down past the disease, and that you can be receptive because. That's another thing that I come to realize in many years of failure, trial and effort in coming to, to, to have a con- maintain a conscious contact with this higher power. Because believe me, it's been a long road from 20 to I'm 48 now. It hasn't been an overnight matter. And just like the disease is progressive when we're in it, recovery is progressive, and making conscious contact and having conscious contact is progressive. It becomes a working part of our brains, it says in the book. My gosh, if, if I didn't need that at the end, at the bottom of my bottoms, I needed nothing. I, I needed that more than anything, more than food and sunshine and, and light, like it says. We need access to this high power, and I did but I couldn't do it without being in a state of receptivity. So that that's another block that I want to talk about that in in maintaining conscious contact, there's this false belief in me, there was, and I hear with other people because we're just like each other, you know, my, my good and my bad I find in you, and you find in me we're the same. And I found that there was this false belief that something should, a switch should tr- turn on, make conscious contact, and then it should stay on. And it, it shouldn't, the, the, as um, someone in the program says, the dimmer switch would go go down. And the dimmer switch going down um, was my experience all the time. And it was also that my evidence that God wasn't real, that this was all not true that this worked for you but it didn't work for me i may have tapped into the resource but i couldn't stay tapped in well my experience is that we don't stay tapped in unless we stay open and receptive and we continue to pursue conscious contact it is an exertion of my will it takes action in order to maintain this connection. And maintaining it is kind of like, mm, you know, it, I wish there was a better word in the English language, and there probably is, but I don't know it. Maintaining sort of, for me, means um, getting back to. Yeah. So it's maintaining, you know, I and maybe, maybe I'm being too closed-minded. I need to be open-minded. Maybe there'll be a time when I live in a place of constant maintenance, but right now that maintenance takes action. So it's a falling out of that that consciousness and waking back up, falling asleep and waking back up. That's been my experience. My experience also is that my staying awake, my time awake, is longer. It gets increasingly, increasingly um, longer times between when I fall asleep. Um, maintaining conscious contact. We will live in this spiritual realm. We will not live in this spiritual realm only and walk above life's problems. But you are always aware that there is more than these problems. That's been the spiritual awakening for me. That I'm aware that there's more than these problems, that their power exists more than my two hands more than my mind and getting a direct channel to this power is possible. But it's a process, a process that takes time. A process that the first first the signal might be weak, like a trans like a transmitter. God is transmitting the message and I'm receiving it. And at first it might be weak and might be subtle. And then as I as the steps help me to get unblocked, as my resentments are lifted. As my closed-mindedness, my old ideas are wiped away. That I have to um, fight, uh, fight everything and everyone in order to make my life better. When, when that false belief washes away, all of these barriers of the negative force, the negative doubt, the the disease, and what in my faith I believe is the opposite of God, which is the father of darkness and just lies. I mean, the lies that are shouted in my head and now they're, they're not shouts, they're whispers as the voice of my higher power gets louder. The voice of the disease gets lower and I'm able to discern between the two, but I always will need help and guidance from a spiritual director. And I have, a spiritual director that I consult with. I have, a spon- I have a sponsor. I have a therapist. I have a team of people. I have a spiritual community. All all of these these things, it takes a village for me to raise our spiritual consciousness, just like it takes a village to raise a child. And I need all this whole treasure trove, like it says. I need to access all that people before me have learned about the development of a conscious contact and a spiritual life. So I I learned in my spiritual awakening the first biggie's um in in really believing that this program worked. I just want to go back to a story. My aunt was a fall down drunk and she was one of my first indicators we could access a power to cure alcoholism and our food addiction. She was a around the clock drinker and I started to see her get better by going to meetings. And the thing that really clicked for me and made me really buy into this program, which I hope it helps others is learning that food addicts who were at the bottom of the bottom of the barrel of life, who couldn't go a day without compulsively overeating, are now living free without that. And the only way to keep that is to give it to other people who are in the same desperate situation. Now, that if that doesn't make somebody believe that there's a power that exists outside oneself, I don't know if anything could. But it certainly worked for me, um but that was just the beginning, and as I said, I went on to read the stories in the back of the book that really really helped me um, okay, where are we on time um nine thirty okay uh just a, a little bit a little bit more um, I hope that this has been helpful so far um but as I look back to that time when I was in the throes of the addiction and the time that followed and how my recovery developed and my conscious contact developed. It developed in different stages, just like we develop as a child in the physical realm in different stages. The spiritual realm is the same. Among those seeking, God was bringing me experiences in my life that were teaching me more and more about the spirit and what my true purpose is here on earth. That access to this power and an interconnectedness to others and a responsibility to others that isn't purely selfish. That on one hand it's self-preserving, but equally true is that the other part is that it's and it's altruistic. As we're told, this it's an altruistic movement and it's unmotivated by self-interest. The 12-step work I was doing was teaching me about that unselfishness, but it was just the beginning. The 12-step work and the principles that grow out from there and this feeling and awareness of the needs of others then began to spread to all other people. And it's a complete, it was a complete change in my attitude from self-interest into a profound way of living. So one one experience that brought me to spiritual awakening was the experience that I went through with with my business. I was at that moment when I first came into AA and the audit happened and my life was in crisis. Right at that moment, I, I knew that all those years prior when I was um 21 years old in AA, and trying to practice those principles in all my affairs during that time. All of that experience and all that I did and all that I was practicing got me just so far. But I made, a, I made well, I shouldn't say a mistake. I, God brought experiences to my mind and to my life to show me that that wasn't going to be enough. To keep me in conscious contact, to keep me sober, to keep me sane. I needed, I needed more. I, need to, I needed to enlarge this spiritual experience. And how was I to do that? I didn't seek that out at first because I was not drinking anymore. I was, I w- was what I thought was abstinent. So I wasn't seeking a larger e- spiritual experience until my life experiences brought me to a bottom where I thought I had everything. And I was spiritually bankrupt. I was aware of the spirit and practicing some of what I knew to access that realm. But I was living in the material realm. And as the 12 and 12 states, I had the cart before the horse. And it says, I love this. This part is like, I live for this paragraph. If we place instincts, we got the cart. If we place instincts first, we got the cart before the horse, we shall be pu- pulled backward into disillusionment. And boy, was that true for me. I was building a life, 20 in, in AA, you know, on a spiritual beam, pink cloud recovery. I was going back to school. I was building a family, I Was creating a life. And what happened to God? God kind of took a back seat. And I hear this happens to a lot of people. And, and of course, my material needs, getting my basic insti, in, instinct, instincts met was the most important thing. You know, you're 20 years old. You want to create a career. You want to um, create a family. That was just natural part of my development. But I forgot all about my spiritual development. And, and during that time, you know, I would run back to meetings. I would know where the I knew the answers were in seeking a, a larger spiritual connection. I knew that was the answer, but I would get sidetracked a lot, and I put my life first and my needs first, and my spiritual life took a backseat until the audit. Until my life hit a, a wonderful, beautiful bottom, it was such a blessing. You know, when all of my efforts to create A life fail, that is the greatest gift my higher power could give me. It's the most beautiful experience in the world because I could finally know the truth that what I'm chasing is not found in my career, in being thin it's not found in having family that loves and a community that respects me it's not in any of those things and i knew that i knew that i knew in that moment when i was hitting a spiritual bottom that it was only god at my core that would give me that what i was see- what i was seeking and and i went i went straight into aa straight into oa recovery i went headlong into the steps and I started on, uh, a, in a group of people that were going through the the twelve steps in six weeks, and we were very committed and very busy, and and I was doing that while I was doing the audit, and I was I was determined because I knew that that's that was going to be my answer that the having the food plan was only a beginning that was only getting me up to bat what was going to get me home was going to be seeking connection with that higher power through the, the, um, doing the the steps in my life. And, um, and that was my experience and it's grown since it's been three years. It's been three years. And I have to say that my experience in these three years has been uh, people look at my life. I, I can hardly stand outside myself and look at my life and recognize it. They cannot believe the change in my life and in me. And, and all I can say is I put, the, if I put the car before the horse. Well, now the horse is in its right place. God is first. God is in the driver's seat. And, and that's not just words. I really live my life that way. I go to church every morning. That's for me. That works for me. It's my time. It's a half hour of meditation and prayer. Um, it's connecting with my higher power it's connecting with the spirit within me and a vital part is connecting for me other people's spirits that's a vital part for me is to be in a community of believers that works for me and it's it's grown from there and and I continue to look forward to more more of this conscious contact and a bigger understanding of what that means in my life because there's always more to know. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you very much, Chrissy, for this beautiful presentation this morning and sharing your personal insights and experience with all of us on the line. Thank you very much. Share ID for this morning, 10549. That's 10,549. And Chrissy's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can ask a question by pressing star one to unmute and identify yourself, please, first name as well as first letter of your last name.
2: Hi, G. from Boston.
0: Karen M. from Florida. I have Katie G, Sharon M. Who did I miss?
2: Sue G, Susan
0: R, Rhode Island. Who's Rhode Island? I didn't catch the name for Rhode Island.
2: Susan R.
0: Susan R, thank you. All right, that's a good group. Let's start with that. Katie G, followed by Sharon M.,
2: Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows and Chrissy G. What a fantastic topic. Love it. Thank you, everyone, for your service. I Katie. can't hear Katie.
0: Right. Katie, we don't hear you.
2: Hi, I was talking away. Okay. Can you hear me now? Go
3: ahead,
2: yes. <laughs> okay, star one works. Thank you. Hi everyone. Um, and I apologize, Chrissy, you did a fantastic job. Um, and what a fantastic topic. Um, Two part question. The first is, could you please talk about, and you did, but just specifically why using anorexia, bulimia, and food blocks you from God? And then I just wanted to hear a little bit more, and you talked about this, but just a little bit more about what your life is, now, when you get blocked, and the actions you take? Thank you so much.
1: Great question, thank you, Katie. Yeah, so for me, my experience is that I use a lot of addictions to block me from God. And it's really the attitude that I take towards God that I've learned in this this book. It taught me, this book teaches me that I have to take a certain attitude towards God. So when I'm living with the attitude like, I am here to build a life and everything that happens the day is because of my ingenuity, my brain power, my muscle power. If I believe that everything that's going to happen today is contingent on that, then I am not living with the right attitude towards my higher power. I'm living self-consciously, not God-consciously. And when I'm doing that, guess what? I'm all sorts of crazy and scared. And that r- makes me run to the food. And then that food blocks me even further. So, so that's, that's how I get blocked. I get, I get blocked by the food and the disease. starts with my thinking, with my wrong attitude. But if I don't put that food down my attitude can't my attitude can't change. I'm just all about believing, you know, it's like it's okay sort of like this. It's sort of like getting beer muscles. It's like I used I used alcohol to perpetuate my feeling of I can do this life on my own and and all I need to do is get them to change and you know when I was living with that attitude, when I was living from that place, I would take you know, it really It really seems very convincing when I drank a few beers or when I ate a couple of ding-dongs. It was very convincing that I could do that. But when I am stone cold sober, I know I'm no match for life on my own resources. And that's exactly where I need to be. Stone cold sober. So I could realize the truth about myself. And that is that I need a higher power to live the life that I want to live. To live life at all. And um the second part is how do I do that every day? You know, I, I start with the attitude. You know, I think you know, to answer Katie's question, I mean I think that that's that's the most important thing and, and I think I, I emphasized that and overemphasized that this morning, that it's really the attitude that I take that I have to suspend this belief that, you know, I could I could get up and I could say, like right right now I'm looking for clients. I am back doing what i used to do for the first time in 3 years and i am wow. getting back into the mental health field and i am looking for clients and i'm starting from scratch and and so I, I wake up every day and I have to suspend disbelief. All the evidence out there is saying that the doors are closing and I'm not getting phone calls, but I have to suspend disbelief and I have to reach beyond that. And I have to believe that God is leading me. And so I say the prayers. So I go to church. So I make the phone calls, So I take the directions. So I meditate. And when, when I get, I got this, Feeling the other day, I get I get feelings and sensations, and I, I listen to them, and I and intuitions, and I was like, just pull over, just go, just pull over, go to this this one place, and I was able to give out some flyers to, to some parents who might be interested, and and I you know the first thought was no don't do that because that's the disease. So what I do every day, the most important thing is ignore that disease, ignore that disbelief, and suspend it and do what I know to be true, and that is to seek out high, the higher power's guidance because it's there for me. With that, I pass.
0: Thank you very much, Katie G.
4: Karen M., your turn. Hi, this is Karen. I'm from Florida. Can you hear me? I sure can. Awesome. Okay, so my question was, um, right towards the end, you talked about, I think you said it was in the 12 and 12, where we put instincts first, which was um, the cart before the horse, and then you said that we would be pushed back to disillusionment, and I was just curious uh, if you could tell me, reference that, where exactly that is, because I wanted to follow up and read some more of that, and um, then I just wanted to say that that was an excellent share, and... One of the beautiful things about what's happening for me right now in this program is that where you were three years ago and like every area of your life, like that is exactly where I am right now, like the school and the family and the everything. So I just smile big because I know, like you just said, that um, I am being led right now by my higher power and there is no mistake of me being on this call today. So if you could just reference that and just thank you so much. Thanks. That's all path.
1: Thank you so much. And I'm going to give I'm going to give my number because last time I spoke um, on the line, I did that and it was so nice because it was on the recording and I got so many calls um, and people who play it back would be able to get my number. So it's 551-404-3460. And with that, I'm going to say, I don't know exactly where it is in the book. I think it's in the 11th step, but if you call me, we could find it together. Maybe we could read it together. And I, I hope that helps. Thanks.
0: Thank you very much, Karen. Um, Suji, your turn. Start one ton mute. Thank you. Um,
2: this is Suji from Michigan. I, I am just fascinated I just absolutely floored by this your share. Um I'm going through some things in life right now and I know that I cannot put them first. Um I my question is you know they talk about living the principles in all my affairs. And but they never really give what those principles are. As far as I know in the big book, um
3: I know in the AA or you know, twelve twelve and the OA twelve twelve they talk about the
2: traditions. But what could you explain a little bit about what the principles are that you're referring to?
1: Sure. Hi, I'm Chrissy. Um yeah, so when we 're talking about the principles in all our affairs i'm I'm really summing it up by saying self sacrifice and construct, constructive action so that's I'm living my life from that from that vantage point. but if you go everything i do i'm not I'm not good with memorizing things so um like numbers and pages and things um chunks of information i could remember so what i usually do is i google i google everything and i find it so easy it's usually silkworth.net that that comes up with the answers for me but if you put in principles of AA, there is a list that some um very uh, ambitious person uh took the time and maybe somebody on the line could speak to this uh, or send this to her there's um somebody p- extracted from the the book what the principles are and made a list of them so they are there somewhere um like outlined just like the traditions are so if someone else wants to speak on that for me i just like to i like i just like to um really put it all together in just unselfish um constructive action thank you
0: thank you Sue G. Susan R, your turn. Star one to unmute, please.
2: Hi, uh this is Susan from Rhode Island. Uh, just uh first of all, thank you very much, Chrissy. Uh,
0: I'm almost speechless. Uh just thank you so much for for share for sharing. I had a question you mentioned and you said uh early on you refer to it as your um, set-aside prayer. And
2: is that something that's in the big book or the 12 and 12, or is that something that you've just made for yourself?
1: Yes, that's uh, that's in the book. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much um, for being on the line. And I... Um, know that there are prayers that are taken from the book and they're put together from pieces of the book, and then there's actual whole prayers in the book. This is one that is taken from pieces of what's written in the book. So you can get it, again, if you Google set-aside prayer. Um it, AA set-aside prayer. You could Google it. And you could even Google AA prayers, and you can get a whole list of first step, first through 12-step prayers, the set-aside prayer, the resentment prayer, the fear prayer. And I would definitely suggest doing that, printing that out for yourself.
0: And thank you, Susan R., for the question. Thank you. Thank you. May I, ask, thank you may I um, interrupt and just suggest, to the woman who asked about the principles. They're in the OA 12 and 12, starting with page 103. And each step has a principle. And thank you very much. Okay. So opportunities to ask questions of our speaker, Chrissy G., and you can do so by pressing star 1 to unmute and announce yourself, please. Just like Matt just did, including the first letter of your last name. Who else besides Matt? This will be the final invitation for questions. Star 1 to unmute. Lisa J. Lisa J. Azadeh N. I didn't catch your name. I'm so sorry.
3: That's okay. It's Ozaday. I, I won't give my last name because I don't think there's another one. <laughs>
0: okay, got it. Thank you, Ozaday. And anyone else? Going once. Lisa Twice. B. Twice. Okay, Lisa, you got in there. Diana B. Diana B. Yes, thank you, Diana. All right, nice group. Okay, let's start off with Matt M., please, your question. Star
5: one.
0: Thank yep, thank
5: there you we are. For, yeah, here I am. Thank you, Chrissy, for your wonderful share list. I want to ask you a question like, have you ever gone through relapse, and how did you find your way back to connection with your higher power again?
1: Okay, that's a great question, and I find myself in relapse every day and i and I don't mean that i I don't mean that um i I mean that facetiously a little bit, but what I mean is it's it's a spiritual relapse that I feel, and it could be with any character defect and it could be with any substance, anything that um it's gonna block me between me and my higher power, so all I could say is that you know early on. Um, when I came into OA, I I did I was convinced that having this spiritual awakening and having connection with the higher power was vital for my recovery. So I knew that it was more than the food. I knew that I had to put down the food no matter what. And and all I can tell you is that I I I believe. I mean, there's something that comes over us, and we have no choice but to do these compulsive things. Yes, I believe that. But my my other belief, that's even strong, is that there's a power stronger than that. I believe this. I truly believe this. That if I access it, I that compulsion will be lifted, and that's been my experience. So, I haven't had to, I haven't had to, um, give in to those compulsions since I've come to believe. So I give. I might. I might fall. I might get weak. But I, if you are an addict and you've hit bottom with that, the whole idea is is to um, do everything but that. And they say that in AA, do everything but drink. Just drag yourself to a meeting. Drag yourself to this to the big book drag yourself just don't eat because you give god the opportunity to come in and lift the lift the obsession we all know that but the thing is that you know in my moments of emotional relapse and in my moments of spiritual relapse that i go through daily when i get scared and i think to myself i'm not pulling into that that school no one's going to be there and nobody wants my services anyway when the disease is telling me those lies, when I'm having a relapse spiritually, in those moments, I pray and I know the truth. I know the true from the false now. And that's there's a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. And with that, I pass.
0: Thanks, Matt, for the question. Lisa J, star one to unmute.
2: Good morning. This is Lisa J from Michigan. Can I be heard?
0: Yes. Go right ahead.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, moderator, for sharing. Thank you, Chrissy, for your, for your share. Everything was excellent. Um, I'm dealing with a sponsee who, um, who's in relapse. I myself am pretty new to the program, and so, I, it's about abstinence coming back into the program and the food plan. Uh, I'm not a food sponsor, so I sponsor according to the Big Book, and. So as far as you know, getting into specific foods and specific ingredients and stuff like that, um, I've recommended a nutritionist. However, with that said, um, even on an abstinent food is leading to a binge. Uh, so obviously it's a spiritual issue, but um, and she, we are thank God we're powerless but not helpless. So my question, if I can formulate that, is what to do between. The 24 to 36 hours of abstinence before we get into the steps, uh, what does that look like? I don't want to abandon her, yet I am not welcoming staying in the problem. I'm very much focused on getting into the book and the solution. So we're using some of the prayers. Could you speak to that? Does that make sense?
0: I think that's clear. Go ahead, Chrissy, please. Thank you. Lisa J. Chrissy, we don't hear you.
1: It's a great question. And I was just saying that it's a dilemma that I have come across with people that I try to help, and a lot of people come across that try to help. The thing is that I really believe that there's no black and white answers. I don't, I, I believe that, you know, living a life of the spirit in the spiritual realm is really about being open to God's direction. And so every encounter that I have with a person is is unique and individual. You know, I have some ground rules, like generally, but I have, you know, rules Made to be broken. Broken, and I have I have some some set rules. You know, maybe it's you know you need to have the food out of your system for 48 hours. You know, for some. But I, if I get the feeling that someone is, there are a class of people that I come across that I was one of them that is completely self sabotaging. That just believe that they are not worthy of recovery and feeling good. That feeling good scares them, and. And, and they're on such a cycle, and this is only one problem that people meet, but this is one that, that I've discovered. And w- when I meet a person like that, I don't let them cop out of recovery by saying, oh, I picked up a, you know, a, a, a frosted flake. You know, I don't let them cop out of recovery. I say, okay, and I don't give them the negative attention that they're looking for because, like, look, we're all sick, wounded souls coming in here. We're not all well. You know, so i there's subconscious things underlying there's psychological things that I don't even understand that are going on, but I know the addict minds because I am an addict, and I know that we self sabotage and if you tell me you're not going to continue your ninth step because you had a it frost, it's like and i'm I'm being silly here, I mean, no matter what the relapse was, get your butt back up and start doing the work you know. You you read the doctor's opinion, you picked up the next day, what are you going to do? Am I going to continue to read with you or or am I going to see if you're serious about recovery and see if you're willing to grin and bear it for the next couple of days? And the thing is that I don't have to make them suffer alone. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. I don't have to say, call me in 48 hours. I don't want to talk about your food. You know, I'm not a nutritionist. But I am an addict, and I do deal with food on a daily basis. I'm a human being. I could talk to you about the food based on that, my own experience. I'm not just going to say, oh, this is all I do. I don't do that. You know, I'm I'm commissioned to help wherever that person's at. So it's not dictated by my formula. I show up, and I say, ah, okay, this person needs this. But I don't usually do this. But God show me, help me to be open. I hope that helps. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Lisa J.
3: Azadeh,
0: your turn, star one to unmute.
3: Thank you. Can you hear Thank me? You?
0: I can. And can you offer your spelling of the of your name, please? Of course.
3: It's Azadeh. It's A-Z-A-D-E-H. Like a holiday, Azadeh.
0: Azadeh. Go right ahead.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Chrissy, what a great share. It's so full of meat and potatoes, no pun intended, but so full of nuggets and to the core of recovery and the core of the disease. And, um, of course, I relate to you a hundred times here, um, being sober and from Alcoholics Anonymous coming to Overeaters Anonymous, and I am, too, in school and abstinent and um my question to you is that how do you determine on a daily basis how to work your program which I'm learning being abstinent and doing work in the steps is self-care because I used to think how I looked on the outside was self-care. So how do you how did you or how do you balance program, school and family all at once, because, you know, I am newly abstinent, two and a half months, which has, I have put a lot of work into the steps, which has given me the result of abstinence, but I struggle, and, I, and so I lean towards phone meetings a lot, like I am this morning, because I have homework to do today, but, you know, I feel like I get scared, am I not doing enough meetings, because I don't want to pick up or go back, and I know on my own I do. So how do you find the balance of your rituals, homework, and, and family, and self-care, and entertainment, just Thank everything? you. How do you find Thank that? you
0: for the question. I think you posed that very clearly. Thank you. Chrissy, your response,
1: please. That's a great question, and it's a lot. It's one that a lot of us have, and it was it was one that I. Okay, so I get it right sometimes, and I get it wrong sometimes. That's the truth, you know. But the significant thing that's changed in my life is that I know what my priorities are, and I don't I don't do this because I want to be a good OA. I don't do this because I want to be a virtuous person or a good Christian, you know. Going to church and doing all of all of all that I do to stay in conscious contact is because I know I need it like I need food. So I, I know that I know that I've lived it. I've lived without it. And I know what it's like to live without it, to, with, without the conscious contact. So I, and I know when I'm not in it. You know, so and I know that I have to get back to it. It used to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. I really should go to a meeting. Oh my god, I'm so busy. I didn't get to pray this morning. It, you, that's what it used to be like, um, all the time. And then I would throw it. I would sprinkle that stuff in amongst my busy. I've designed my life around that now. So I wouldn't take a job if it got in in the way of me doing that stuff. So I, and I, I know that sounds drastic, but you can call me and we could talk. I have, you know, a a big life like everybody else and I'm able to go to church most days and meditate and do what I have to do most days there. I don't watch TV. No, I, You know, I I do watch Netflix, like I I will watch some shows, but the majority of time, if you were to divide up a piece of pie, my sponsor used to say, and you said, what percentage goes to program to myself, to my children, to my, I have to really look at that and try, however falteringly, to keep that balance to make sure, you know what, I really haven't just sat and done nothing. For You know, I'm going to do that. And, and to divide my time and manage my time is a life skill, you know, and it's something that we get better at. But we have to make making conscious contact the priority and let everything else go around. And we can talk about that more, like more meat and potatoes, like you said, ways of doing that if you want to give me a call.
3: Can you repeat your phone number again, Chrissy? I will repeat that. I will repeat that.
0: Chrissy's number, 551-404-3460. Lisa B., your question, please.
5: Oh, good morning. This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you for your service, Leah. Thank you for this wonderful presentation, Chrissy. It's just been so full of good stuff, and I thank you so much for sharing your experience. and. My question is when you go through a dry spell of, you know, as a recovered person, um, not really feeling the contact, you know, that conscious contact for me, now I really try not to let it reside so much in my mind but more in my heart and in my spirit. And when you've gone through those difficult times as a recovered person or go through difficult times today, and and there's almost like a dryness there Mm -hmm. of just not really feeling and hearing your higher power. You know, what do you do with that?
1: So with that I pass. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, great. Yeah, no, that that's definitely a common problem, and I don't, think, I don't think that that dryness happens overnight. I think it's like uh, Herb K says, it's a dimmer switch. So it's a dimmer switch going down, and if you're if you're if you're already doing Prayer and meditation in the morning—it's really hard for you to not notice that happening. So it's really about um, having, letting God discipline you, and doing those disciplines on a daily basis, and not giving up on them. And 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 then all the other stuff kind of happens. All the other all the other stuff kind of goes into place, and you could notice when that when you're losing that conscious contact. I hope that helps.
0: Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you, Lisa B. And Diana B., you'll be our final question for this morning.
5: Good morning. This is Diana B.
0: Yes, please go ahead with your Mm -hmm. question.
5: Hi. Um, This is funny. I have never shared on Vision for you, but I've been listening for... um, quite a while now you know a few weeks regularly and off and on over months but i knew i had to get past that and speak today to become part of that fellowship for that contact and the call karen um i'm sorry chrissy i came in late to it and i knew i woke up late my son and i were up late i am so grateful to god i listened to the higher power and got in on this call, because you are nailing some things where I'm at right now. It's amazing. I love this. Um, so let's see if I can really form this question here. Um, you know, you, you were talking about the balance of school, of family, of program, and I'm in it all right now. I have been uh, sober for over a year. All these miracles have happened, I my surrendering, and then I get all confused with, okay, if I can surrender this part, how come I'm not surrendering with the food? I am a compulsive eater, a bulimic. Um, People will look at me, oh, you're an OA, you look great, you teach fitness. And I just have to smack myself in the head that it's not about outward appearance. It's about what's in your soul, in your heart, in your head, the the insane mind. Um, So I'm learning that balance. I'm learning that priority. And, uh, you know, when I really decided to start OA, I was not a full year of uh, sobriety. But I knew that I had to get through this in order. I'm an older parent. Uh, my son's 51. I do work in human services. I was a health mentor with people with severe mental illness. I was able, you know, I lifted depression away, I don't know how, 20, 30 years ago for myself through... Diana, um,
0: your question, please. Thank you so much. Great to sorry. hear you. with formulate a question, please. Thank you. Okay, sorry.
5: Um, I, I'm trying to form it because I know I need to get in contact, and maybe I should call you at a later time. But... Um, how, I, I'm not sure how to pose. I'm at a point where I'm I'm trying to find this thing that I am unable to surrender, even though I've surrendered and I know I admit.
1: Could I ask I'm you a, a question? Yes, go ahead. Are you okay? So you're abstinent, yes?
5: I am not abstinent. I am off okay. and on abstinent, off and on.
1: Okay. So it's, you want to know how to surrender? How to get to the point of surrender? Yes. yes. Yes.
5: There, there are things that I surrender, and I realize I'm not so. Sur- yes, I'll just say yes. Yes, most- and
1: um, and there are definitely like sur- a surrender. I think and, and I hope that I'm answering your question. You can certainly call me. But I, a surrender. We surrender different pieces of things at a time. It's like yeah. really, ultimately, we're we're purging ourselves of ego. You know, all that we're holding on to, getting all our instincts met and getting all our needs met and what that means and doing it on our own resources. I mean, that's really what, what comes down and crushes us, the, the striving to do that and fighting everything and anyone to try to achieve that, right? And we, we learn to give up certain things at certain times. The fact of the matter is my personal belief is if you're still using the food and it doesn't it doesn't have you down for the count and you're still able to get up and function every day and you're still using the food, then, you know, it's a matter of I, I don't I'm not saying you haven't hit bottom yet because you could decide to get off on any floor. I believe that. But for whatever reason, it's working for you, the, you know, binging every, you know third day or whatever it is, is working for you still, you know, and, and that's Mm
3: -hmm.
1: not a good or a bad, there's no judgment, but we can talk more about it off the line, but that's, you you hit the nail on the head with
5: that. I realize I made a list of why my life is unmanageable and surrendering the fear of when I fall into, I, I work around a client, um, Call me, call me yeah. All right. call me. I'll just call. because
1: it's late in the morning and I know people need okay. to get going All right. and and this thank is you. a long conversation that I would love to have with you.
5: Okay. Thank you very, very okay. much. I'm You're so love welcome. Your, love your talk.
0: All right.
1: Thank you so much. Right.
0: Have a great day. Thank you, Diana B. And thank you to everyone who asked questions this morning. And of course, thank you to our speaker, Chrissy G. Thank you for such a Generous and helpful spirit that you brought to the line this morning, a beautiful presentation, a lot of experience and personal insights to utilize. Thank you very much, Chrissy. Again, the share ID for this morning's presentation, 10549. That's 10,549. We're going to close from page 164 from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us.